Welcome to Lectionary Call-In for Tuesday, September 5th of 2023, where laypersons and pastors gather at 6.30 a.m. each Tuesday to discuss the Gospel Lectionary for the coming Sunday, this Sunday, September 10th, and we're working to be faithful to Lectionary Year A. Here's how it works. We prepare independently in advance of the discussion after receiving some formative questions from the week's leader, and then in this podcast we share, question, and challenge each other. And today and next week, we have a special guest pastor, Laurie Archer-Rival, senior pastor of Selwyn Avenue Presbyterian Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. She served the congregation of Selwyn Avenue Presbyterian Church since 2008, a graduate of Wake Forest University, and Laurie earned a Master of Divinity from Union Presbyterian Seminary in Charlotte. Laurie, I think you're serving on the board now. You can clarify that if I get it wrong. And in 06, uh, and, and is currently pursuing her doctorate of ministry from Union Presbyterian Seminary with a focus on gender, authority, and congregational leadership. More from her in just a moment, but here are all the folks joining us for today's discussion. Sarah Mickelson in Tampa. Bill Hall, St. Petersburg, Florida. And Lori Rabel in Charlotte, North Carolina. And I'm Don Upton. I'm also in Charlotte, North Carolina. And uh, our lead today is our friend Bill Hull. How you doing, my friend? I'm fine, thank you. And, Lori, another word of welcome. It, we welcome your <clears throat> perspectives. <clears throat> um, our scripture from the lectionary for this week, the gospel lesson, which is what we focus on, is Matthew 18, 15 to 20. I will read for us from the New Revised Standard Version updated edition. Uh, This is the word of the Lord. Let us listen. If another member of the church sins against you, go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. If the member listens to you, you have regained that one. But if you are not listened to, take one or two others along with you so that every word may be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If that person refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if the offender refuses to listen even to the church, Let such a one be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, I I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly, I tell you, if two of you agree on earth about anything you ask, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now, a quick reminder of where we are in this journey. Last week in chapter 16 is the famous uh, conversation, confrontation between Jesus and And Peter, after Jesus reminded his disciples, having done so previously, that he would suffer and be put to death. And Peter said, never, and Jesus rebuked him, the famous saying, get behind me, Satan. 
Now, the lectionary leaps from there to uh, our chapter for today, uh, avoiding at this point the transfiguration, which the lectionary will deal with later in Lent. And also, in our chapter for today, it omits the conversation about who is the greatest, about children, the parable of the lost sheep, the 99 and 1, and then uh, today's passage. And next week, we'll look at the passage about how many times do I forgive. So with that background, this passage, and Sarah, I'm coming to you first. This passage begins with the statement, if another member of the church sins against you, what do you understand sin to mean, especially in your own life experiences and the challenges of a relationship, Sarah? So forging a loving community and family is the paramount goal. So what does it mean to be a, a community of faith? And how do we treat another? And how we treat another is the fulfilling of the law. So I think to lovingly ensure the safety and care for and nurture of each member is both the invitation and the charge that we endeavor to love our neighbor as ourselves. Um, there is something at stake in all of this for God as well. And how do we manifest who God is to the world around us? And I'm lifting up some of the language that I heard listening to Sermon Brainwave, um, both the 2014 version and this week's version um, that Matt Skinner and Caroline Lewis anchored, but had also Ralph Jacobson and um, Joy, I'm trying to remember her last name, um, on it. So how do we manifest who God is to the world around us in how we relate to each other? And how do we love each other? Um, is it as simple as what harms one harms all? And what encourages each of us encourages all of us. And might sin and the pursuit of sinfulness just simply be what amplifies the fault lines between us and perhaps separates and tears the community or family apart? Thank you, Sarah. Don, how would you define sin as you experience challenges in your relationships? What a big question. Uh, what, is, what is the sin? And uh, I, I came across a few things. I went down a bunny hole a few days ago where I was trying to label sin, and I end up with this spectrum. So I, I had a choice of going into sin, which could be personal or corporate, and I got more and more uncomfortable with it because I saw what I think this passage is about, the damage I can do if I start sorting like that, becoming a judge and a jury. So I embraced the whole spectrum, which is, all right, someone's messed up. I perceive a misstep. Someone's breaking. Somebody's not being kind. No, I'm not gentle. Someone's hurt my feelings. All right, there's one little personal end of it. Now, why would we call that a sin? Because it can mess up the whole and then on the other end, using Matt Skinner's language, radical corporate accountability. I don't know which one I prefer to be worried about, the accountability within the corporation that we call the church, the universal church on earth. I'm going to beat the traffic cop for that? Are you kidding me? And then on the other end, 
somebody's going to offend me and I'm going to take action because my feelings are hurt. I mean, the extremes of this are hard to bear. And I, I'll say, Lori, I don't want any part of it. So how do I, how do I get right with that? So, and why is that all sin? Maybe it's not. So where I, where I ended up with is the question of sin is mutual. And that's why all this discipline is here. The question of sin isn't that I take action, whether it's the corporate church, God's work on earth, oh, God, help me. <laughs> I don't know if I can handle that. And then my own feelings. So I think what it triggers is the potential for sin to continue and that it's mutual and that all these steps have to take place. That it's so important, even the two, even the three, it is so important. And breakage can do so much harm to the work of love on earth. The attention has to be paid. And so it's, if one sin can trigger another, sin can be tiny. And if it results in breakage, then I cannot just take radical action. I have to go to somebody and, take, and, and, and use the discipline that uh, Christ talks about. Uh, so that's that's where I left off. I, I went down one bunny hole and then ended up with the hole, which is beware, be careful. It doesn't matter whether it's a tiny breakage or a hurt feeling or whether you think you can be a defender of the realm because the church has been harmed. doesn't matter. What am I going to do about it? You know, what discipline am I going to bring to that relationship? Bill? Thank you, Don. Lori? your response to this question. I mean, we're kicking off with the doctrine of sin. Um, you know, so we could talk about this for 45 minutes. Um, sin means different things to, to different people, depending on the theology you adhere to, you know? So for those of us who um, may consider ourselves reformed, somebody like Karl Barth would say that sin is, sin is our human pride. It's, it's, it's our human nature. It's our capacity to put, ourselves at the center of the universe instead of God. Um, and um, that may be true most of the time, uh, but, you know, depend- that's maybe not the case always for those of us who um, are, are women. Um, you know, so there's lots of feminists or womenist the- theologians who, who would push back on that a little bit. And sometimes women um, of all shades uh, might say that it's a sin to, to diminish oneself or to struggle with self-confidence. And so regardless of how we approach the doctrine of sin, we can see how it would create conflict in a community, which is what Matthew was really highlighting for us, you know. So uh, as I read it, this text sits in a a much broader, you know, five different narratives that we're approaching what it means to be in relationship or, or be together the Greek translation that Matthew uh, uses um, in the text, I have a southern accent, so forgive me, but it's hemartano, whatever. But the translation I love, the Greek translation means to miss the mark. Um, and I find that a very, very in- intriguing way for us to approach exactly what Matthew is talking about, because, you know, I'm going to miss the mark on, on my way to the church this morning. I mean, it's, you know, I've already missed the mark, and it's not even... 6.50 in the morning. Um, so, you know, if the doctrine of sin uh, reveals to us how we miss the mark, um, then we can also remember that it's not really about um, how we screw up or mess up or how we um, get it wrong, but it's about God's love and God's justice and God's grace 
so it's, it's revealing God's grace as we consider um, our conflict with one another or the way we're missing the mark and what we do. Um, I, I think this particular text is really relevant for our culture today. Um, there's there's no there's no shortage of of conflict, um, and there's no shortage of the ways we're we're really hurting each other um, institutionally, uh, individually, culturally. I mean, we could go on and on. Thank you, Laurie. And by the way, it's great to have a Southern accent. I was born and raised in the South, so be assured <laughs> you're fine. I, I think I'm going to begin echoing uh, something I sense you were saying, Laurie, as you began. On the surface, we get to define sin however we want to. Jesus doesn't define it. He doesn't say, for example, he says, if someone sins against you, and thank you for the reminder of missing the mark. Now, the first thing that came to my mind when I read this was going back to Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, if you are angry with a brother or sister, you are liable to judgment. If you insult them, you can be brought before the council. And then Jesus really ups the ante when he says, if you in your own mind conceive adultery, you're guilty of it. So there's a depth and a profundity to sin. In other words, it can happen within me, and I don't outwardly act on it. Uh, a, a powerful reminder so that it it led me to begin with, it, Jesus says, if someone else sins against me, how have I sinned? How have I acted in ways that fractured or broke a relationship? And I think, Sarah, you, you talked about the impact on relationships. I tend to think of it more that way. Most of us are not bank robbers or people who assault people. We are, the Bible says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, missed the mark. Now, um, Jesus, this passage to me, yet again, Jesus is highlighting how professed believers' willingness and ability to deal with the inevitable challenge of, of relationships will have a powerful impact on the internal health of the worship community and its witness to those outside. Um, it's interesting to me that Matthew is the only one of the four Gospels that records these instructions. And I don't need to belabor the point. What kind of witness does it offer to the world that we Christians are better at dividing and splitting ourselves than maybe any other group in our culture? Um, the one body is fractured uh, almost daily. Uh, now, one final point that I struggle with. What is particularly challenging to me is to find out that someone else was wounded or offended or in some way hurt by something I said and did that I did not intend to be hurtful. As a pastor, Lori, I had times where people said, you pay too much attention to other people. You're not paying attention to me. You don't care about me. <laughs> that wasn't my intent. So 
what has been a struggle for me is to accept that whatever I said or did hurt, and I'm better off not trying to explain it or rationalize it, but to accept that that person felt offended, sinned against. Um, So I find it helpful to understand sin as anything that violates a relationship with God or, or with others. Question two, and thank you, team members. Don, I'm coming to you. Uh, (laughs) This is a bit of a challenge. Summarize or characterize in your own words the instructions Jesus gives about dealing with conflict, and how does this guide you in your life? Don? I like the old saying of, uh, you know, can you be judge and jury? And I think there's a reminder here, and I think it's written over even the Old Testament scriptures, the judge and jury. A jury is a finder of the fact, truth, the truth finder. You know, a verdict would, is, means to speak the truth. Or, you know, I want to speak the truth. I think Jesus gives a resounding, if I feel offended, I'm taking offense. Am I the jury? No, I am not. I am not the finder of fact. I can seek the truth. I can I can look, but I I must confront. I must meet. I must have a conversation. And uh, the subtext is not to patronize and not to declare the fact, because I think the subtext is I may be wrong and I'm not the jury. Am I the judge? No, I am also not the judge. <laughs> the the coalition of people engaged in this gets bigger and bigger. I assume the prayer gets bigger and bigger over time, <laughs> appealing to the Creator and appealing to the judge. So Jesus sees and holds up conflict, I think, is deserving and requiring intentionality of follow-up and clarity, intentionality of confrontation, constructive confrontation. Uh, and I think in that process, if you've ever been there, it's filled with confessions. And, ah, it's not easy, but I'm wondering if, if, if I'm speaking with someone who's never had the joy of reconciliation and the hospitality of somebody you think you're confronting, who turns out to be the one embracing you. And you can see that you're joint finder of fact, and you can appeal to the judge in prayer. What if you never touched that before? I, th- I think there's a, it's, it's almost like mission work. It's like, well, I've been there, and I have. Uh, I, and, and, and it'd be surprising if somebody's never experienced the joy, the excitement, the reunion. It's almost as if the friendship and the relationship never existed before until the confrontation took place. This has happened many times in my life, and I am grateful. It is filled with blessings. But maybe I have to say that to people. Oh, I don't have the answers. I'm not the judge or jury, but try it. You might like it. And you might find that, you know, Jesus is waiting for you in the other room. Not, it's not with you, but Jesus waits for you to walk through the door. So I, I think looking at Matthew in its entirety, there's an echo of self-examination throughout the entire book. So I'm star- I know it requires more than the self, but this begins with the self. You know, how do you confront, how do you walk in that room? And the intentionality starts with the personal discipline to examine, what am I feeling? I mean, think of the Old Testament stories. You know, we learn what people's in heart, in their hearts before they enter a room. What am I feeling? What do I think happened? What am, am I being reasonable? Am I being rational? What are the questions I'm asking? Uh, Am I in a position to do further violence to the relationship? There's the sin. I think there's the caution. 
out of the gate, the potential to do further violence. Maybe it's only a little bit broken, and I'm going to break it more. I'm taking the risk of making this breakage permanent, and I think Jesus goes, yeah, you are. Yeah, you are. I'm looking at the whole. I'm looking at unity. So Jesus, Jesus uh, steps are not legalistic to me. They reflect the discipline of listening and self-examination and patience. That's what I've got there. Thank you, Don. Laurie, your summary or characterization of these instructions. Um, first and foremost, um, it's not a matter of, of if we enter if we have conflict, but but it's when we have conflict. And um, it's been my experience in the church and in my personal life that the relationships that are the most precious to me are often the ones that can hurt me the most or I have the capacity to hurt those people the most because we have so much invested uh, in those in those relationships. And, you know, if reconciliation is, is the heart of the gospel, in, in the place, the core of where Jesus um, transforms hearts, then it, it's not just a practical guide that Matthew is giving us, but um, it, it's a way into that work that would give us more courage and more support and um, um, more, would hold us accountable to what reconciliation could look like, um, you know, when needed. Um, I, I assume that a majority of the folks in, in every church are, are well-intentioned and faithful people. But, you know, for some reason, uh, when we step into a community of faith, we expect more um, than perhaps in other institutions or, or other places where we feel as if we belong. And so the stakes are, are unusually high, uh, whether we name that or not. Um, you know, and so our expectations are, are real for one another um, rest on uh, the promises that are made by God to God's people um, in Christ. And so we're set up to fail a little bit in the church, uh, you know, b- because we're expecting more, um, whether that's valid or not. Um, and, and then so it, it leads us uh, on our best days to, to rise to the occasion. Um, and on our worst days, we, we are offered a, a way to, to reconcile um, and, and that requires both integrity. Uh, you know, it's interesting to me that even though we're talking about a community, um, this 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 passage is about another person. A brother is the word that's used. You know, so it's a, it's an intimate um, offense that has occurred, but it requires a community to to come around these two for the good of the whole. Um, and we know that that you know we talk a big game, but. This is the this is the hardest thing um, about being in relationship with one another, whether it's in with your partner or your spouse or um, somebody you work with or serve on a committee with or, or even one of your children. It, you know, so. Thank you, Laurie. Sarah, your thoughts on this? First, you have to have courage. I think that the decision to approach someone takes a lot of muster. Um, and for me, that's intimidating because I'm conflict-adverse. I think I run in a family that's conflict-adverse. So we have a tendency to let, we'll say, splinters in the skin fester before we take action. And I think that's problematic that, 
the loving thing would be to go, let me get the tweezers and get that out quick. But the hardest bit is to respect the individual and say, you let me know when we can have a conversation about that. Um, so I, I think there's something to be said about taking courage and recognizing the value of standing with someone. Um, the other piece of this puzzle for me is the words be reconciled. Um, you or may you may not know anybody that holds um, grudges or holds anger or can keep a remembrance of a, of a painful thing. Um, one of the challenges in in workplace settings is often people can remember a previous hurt, and so the reconciliation hasn't completed. And I think that there's some instruction for us here that says if you're going to approach somebody or somebody approaches you, you need to let go of the thing that came between you and not carry it forward into the relationship. Um, so I use those words as a certain level of accountability for myself, but also to reflect on that is have I let go of that which caused me pain or have I let go of that which um, you know, was somebody's impulse to speak to me directly. So if the conflict remains and we have to ask for adjudication by other people, like John, Don, you suggested, that we're not the judge, we're not the jury. We, we're merely the person that feels the loss of, of the individual's relationship. If we have to bring other people into the story, it gets even more complex. So we're asking them to hear both sides of the conversation and see where the reconciliation could occur. You know, I'm thinking about people who do mediation work, um, the people that do diplomatic work. And this is some of the most difficult, uncomfortable, creative, talented people in the world. So I think about how do, how do we respond and what's the right way to respond that might move us forward. And I love the language you used, Don, of joy of reconciliation. Um, I also lifted um, something from David Lose's writings this week called Agents of Reconciliation. And it, it makes me feel equipped to do this work um, when I feel inadequate most days to do this kind of hard work. Um, I, I do recognize the joy of reconciliation. I think there's something to be said about the strength of something once you're reconciled and you can move something forward. I think you double your joy in those places. I also think there's something to be said about how we treat people who we can't reconcile with. And, and what does it look like to stand in loving relationship with somebody with whom you have, you've decided to have nothing in common or you've decided that stands apart from the community. Um, and the language is used, you treat them as a tax collector or an outsider, a Gentile. And I'm reminded that right prior to this, the story of the lost sheep occurs. And I'm thinking about the joy in heaven when one is found who's been lost and that, that nobody in the church, and especially in heaven, takes any joy when somebody is lost. 
but the joy is, is, is discovered or joy is brought back into the family when someone is incorporated back into the fold, when the sheep, the lost one, is brought back in. So I, I kind of put in my head that we treat someone with whom reconciliation will continually be sought, that there will be vulnerability for that person because they're outside of the community and that they need to be protected. We're called to protect the vulnerable. We're called to care for and love and stand with the vulnerable, even if they don't want to be in the group. Does that make sense? So I'm thinking about the responsibilities we bear to each other, even if we don't get along, and that it's it's important that we stand in the side of reconciliation. Thank you, Sarah. As I started working on my own question, it it occurred to me that there's something embedded in this that's not made explicit. If I am going to follow Jesus's instruction to challenge someone who has hurt me, I am making a commitment to keep the promise I make in the Lord's Prayer to forgive others as I have been forgiven. So I think that's important, even though it's not explicitly here. And I, of course, it makes sense to start one-on-one. In some of the important relationships in my life, we have negotiated a short account, little term meaning we won't put it off. We, We will as quickly as possible, and one has to be aware of context. In other words, I think, Sarah, you talked about letting it fester, the splinter in the skin. So that that helps. That I, one-on-one, we, we deal with it, and it's great. It is joyous when that works, and you can apologize. Or And I said it's not helpful to explain. Sometimes there is an explanation uh, that, that can help. Anyway, uh, that slow broadening of the uh, number of people involved, and uh, particularly as a pastor, when there was conflict in the church, it was helpful to have other resources, to go to a counselor or to have the presbytery representative come in. So broadening it's not about ganging up on it's getting our larger mind and perspective. Interestingly, I read an article in the Christian Century dated August 4, 2002 by William Hawkins, who's a, he's talking about why are churches declining. His thesis is that it's our failure to deal with conflict among ourselves that is a major cause of the decline in church membership across the denominations. It's not just Presbyterians. And then Matt Skinner on the Working Preacher podcast reminds us that what precedes this, I alluded to it in my introduction, that what precedes this is Jesus talking about dealing with the most vulnerable children and, and others. And I don't want to push this too far, but it may be that Reading it in the larger context, Jesus is saying, just as you need to welcome and deal kindly with children, you need to do that among yourselves as as adults. As I say, I won't push that too far, but whatever relationships there are, 
how we deal with conflict is critically important. Third question, and Lori, in just a moment, I will come first to you. I'm going to read these verses as a reminder, 18 to 20. Truly I tell you, Jesus said, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly I tell you, if two of you agree on earth about anything you ask, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. Lori, how do you understand and live out Jesus' statements in these verses? Lori. Thank you. Um, well, first of all, I, most of us usually skip over that part about what's bound on earth is bound in heaven. It's kind of willy-nilly church talk. And so we just don't really know what to do with it. We skip to the end because, I mean, I think the last part of this text is quoted just about more, you know, as much as, as any um, in in church, you know, especially during the years of COVID where we really couldn't gather in large crowds. Um, and I personally, for me, in order to understand what's going on here, um, what Matthew's trying to say, say we have to get an understanding of um, Matthew's eschatology or, or the way Matthew approaches the, the end of times. And we need to remember that he's writing this gospel to the people of Israel. He, he's, he, he was a, a Jewish believer uh, who was writing to the people of Israel during the time when the, t- the temple fell for the second time, so oppressed by the Roman Empire. Uh, and so this sense that things were, were coming to an end, um, we find that throughout the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, and in some way, that Old Testament eschatology, that um, eternal life is somehow an inheritance, well, that no longer applies with the story of Christ that's hit the scene. And so um, you guys push back on me if, if you need to, but for me, it seems as if Matthew is blurring the lines between heaven and earth when, when he writes what's bound on earth is bound in heaven, what's loosed on earth is loosed in heaven. And so from Matthew's point of view, God's reign has been realized. Sin and death have been defeated already in Christ, and yet sin and death had not yet been destroyed. So, you know, Christ had hit the scene already, um, and yet they were still waiting for Christ to come again. And I think that's exactly where um, the church is placed, in that tension of the already and and not yet. So when we pray, uh, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, the the church is standing right there in that tension. Our comfort and our hope uh, is rooted in the already, but our hope and our faith is born from the from the not yet. Um, and so the church, you know, belongs to and pursues and shares and models and celebrates the promises of eternal life in the future. Um, you know, Don, you, you keep using this language of, of judge, um, of the judge and the jury. And, and you know, Karl Barth said you, um, that Christ is the judge judged in our place. So, you know, we're standing in the tension because of this reality of, of when and how Christ hit the scene on earth, um, but our eyes are focused on what hasn't happened yet. And, and I think when we're thinking about conflict um, in the church with, with someone we care about and how we move through that and how we reconcile ourselves to one another in Christ, then then um, this theology is at the core of that because um, – our relationships are sacred, but they're also extremely messy. 
Uh, and, and it's because of this already not yet thing that, that we find here in verse 18 that um, we have the hope and the courage to push through towards um, God's reign on earth as it is in heaven. Um, yeah. Thank you, Laurie, for that reminder of the already not yet. That That's helpful. Don, your thoughts. Thanks. Uh, first, first note is uh, the hopelessness of broken relationships abounds every day. Uh, or using your word, Sarah, festering in everyone's heart everywhere all the time, or, or avoidance or evasion of reconciliation. And I will just hold up in the face of the Christ the declaration that any human being is capable of making, including myself, beyond hope, hopeless, never again, never talk again, and here's the Christ. I mean, the idea of reconciliation is so different uh, when con- we're confronting uh, Jesus. And then uh, to answer your question specifically, Christ is at work in heaven and on earth. Uh, even, even two people, a thousand years ago, it, there's a promise here that's resonating through time. It matters. It matters. There's such high confidence Jesus has in the few. Uh, you know, this is all about breakage, but then there's this confidence that it can be done. Can be done. Will God could be done uh, if we pause and do that? And then two or three gathered uh, is especially exciting to me. I'd never thought before that there's no qualification at all. If two or three or more gather, we connect with the earlier part. Where am I? Where's the one who has been violated? Where's the agreed? Two or three. So to, to make it specific, it doesn't say two or three, and here's the victor. Two or three, and here's the smartest one. Two or three, here's the most faithful one of the three. Here's the wealthiest. Here's the oldest. Here's the youngest. Here's the male one. Here's the female one. Oh, here's the straight one. There's no parsing. It's just two or three. And it's for the, it's when, wow, it just popped into my sight this time. It's like, wait a minute. There's no measuring. There's no judge. There's no jury. It's just three people. And the aggrieved is gone. I can't find the aggrieved. It's just two or three people. And that's exciting to me. So I'd spoken earlier about, you know, it's a whole new way of looking at Scripture. It's, it's going to sound a little negative, but... If you did a read through the Bible that a lot of churches do for 365 days every now and then, some churches do it every 10 years. They take a year and read through the Bible. How about read through the Bible just focusing on broken relationships and the agreed? And then the surprise of reconciliation, just to remind, I'll say it, make it personally, just to remind me, like what Laurie said, it happens all the time. It's everywhere. festering all the time, just as a reminder. And I just want to read just two examples. Right, one from the Old Testament, and you all know what it is, right? And think of walking into that room, right, where things are terribly broken. This is walking into a whole geography. Jacob looked up, and there was Esau coming with his 400 men, so he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two female servants. He put the female servants and their children in front. Leah and her children went next, and Rachel and Joseph in the rear. He himself went ahead and bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and they wept. And then Esau looked and saw the women and children and said, Who are these with you? It's amazing. What a surprise. An ancient story. How about another one? On a beach. And John, I'm skipping, I'm skipping gospels. Forgive me. 
When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. A reconciliation that in the world could be viewed as impossible on the beach that day. I dare you to find any chapter any chapter and verse in the Bible that isn't built upon, forgive me, brokenness and reconciliation and the joy, especially Esau, weeping, unexpected, unexpected joy. I just feel, I feel like I have to go out and not testify to Jesus, but testify to the love and the joy of those few times I've been graced with reconciliation and a whole new, a whole new relationship, a new person, a new relationship. That's what I got, Bill. Thank you for those rehearsing those biblical narratives for us. Sarah. I'll add to that. Jonah goes to Nineveh, fully expecting to bring fire and, and destruction. And all of Nineveh goes, okay, we'll, we'll believe. And Jonah gets mad. You know, it's this wonderful moment of, of recognizing what's valuable. And I think... All of our actions, both good and bad, are made within the witness of Christ. Whenever two or three are gathered, Christ is there. It is, it, it, the presence is in the room. The spirit is at work. There are things moving that we can't measure. So any choice to lose or to bind is made within the presence of Christ and impacts how God is seen on earth. And if love is the fulfillment of the law, are we not demonstrating how we are loved as we love one another? And that expression of forgiveness is a, re a restating of how we are loved. Um, so how do we continually invite God into these conversations when we're having these really difficult moments of where we need courage, where we need to speak truthfully, where we need to be thoughtful about our word choices because we don't want to cause more damage. And all we have to acknowledge is that we are in the presence of Christ when we are moving through these moments and that that is going to give us the equipment, the language, the comfort that we need to, to become reconciled. I think that's really the tricky wicket becoming reconciled and recognizing that I don't want to be an alone person out there on my own. I want to stand within the community. I want to be in the community. So I think that that in and of itself is the invitation. Thank you. Um, I'll remind us this concept is not new in Matthew. It is earlier reflected in chapter 16 where Peter declares Christ is the Messiah, gets the keys to the kingdom, and Jesus says, whatever you bind on earth and loose. I, I didn't double-check it. I think in the original Greek, the you is plural there. It's not just addressed to Peter. Frederick Dale Bruner, in his Matthew commentary, offered something that was helpful to me. He says, this is simply characterizing what has been expressed in the earlier part of our passage for this week, verses 15 to 17. He says, if you go and confront someone 
and you're reconciled, you're both released. If the person refuses that, the person is binding himself. So he, he I think, helpfully connects both parts of, of this passage. But then he goes on, Bruner goes on to say, quote, the obedient church's prayerful binding and loosing on earth is solemnly ratified by God in heaven. But I got to tell you, for me, the in heaven part is a mystery. Partly what restrains me is having experiences where people were absolutely certain they had God's approval for their especially denunciation of others. So I'm a little hesitant to go where Bruner goes, but uh, maybe it, I need to grow in that. And and I will finish with the where two or three are gathered. It's both comforting and challenging. I'm not alone. Thanks be to God. It is sobering and cautioning to me to believe that God is present in all of my interactions. I just assume Jesus mute the speaker at times. <laughs> and if you watch the Working Preacher content, podcast, there's a humorous moment where Caroline and Matt talk about Jesus is listening, Jesus is watching. Don, I'll hand it back to you. Well, thank you. Uh, I enjoyed the conversation today. And uh, Barry Rabel, we're looking forward to having you back next week. Uh, I just want to give a courtesy to you, Laura. You, you may be done, but uh, if you have a last word or anything you wanted to, to add before we say goodbye, I just want to make sure you've got that opportunity. Well, thank you. I, as a, uh, first of all, it's an honor to be here, and this is so much fun for somebody that spends a lot of time thinking and about the church and about Scripture and our faith. I, I give thanks for your podcast. I have listened in um, many times before, so it's great to be here with you all. Um, I, I'm just reminded of, of the benediction. Um, May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, which surpasses all understanding, dwell in your hearts and your minds this day uh, until we meet again. So I, I send that to the three of you and to anyone else who's tuning in today who may need that. Thank you. And for those listening in, Palmasia Presbyterian Church makes this podcast possible. We're grateful for that. They're at 3501 West San Jose. That's in Tampa, Florida. For more information, you can go to palmasia.org. That's P-A-L-M-A-C-E-I-A.org. Check that out. We always recommend that, refer that to you for discussions in the lectionary. Uh, and, and recently, companion lectionary in the Old Testament, because the lectionary is in four parts, for those of you new. And you can look at the, all kinds of comparisons and parallels as you go through it. We commend that to you for great sermons, the opportunity to take communion, uh, music, reflections, things like that. And of course, uh, there's another great sermon you can always hear from Laurie Rabel at uh, Selwyn Avenue Presbyterian Church as well. Uh, and so we commend that to you as well. And you're always welcome, and we'll see you next time.